Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a full show for you guys today. We're going to be breaking down USC's 2021 spring game. We saw four quarters of play in the Coliseum, USC playing in front of fans, USC fans in California for the first time since 2019. So it was a big day for the Trojans. So we'll break down our takeaways from that day. Uh, should we be concerned if you're a USC fan about uh, USC's offensive line? Not sure about that. We'll give some injury updates. We'll talk about some newcomers. We saw uh, Keonta Ingram have a nice little run there, so we'll talk about that. And of course, any questions you have, we are live on all three platforms, I believe. Facebook, YouTube, and whatever Twitter is right now. Twitter Live. Twitter Live, Periscope's cousin, I don't know. It's it, We're live, so be sure to put your comments, questions, concerns. We love hearing from you guys. Um, and also, if you want to call us, 5124-TUNNEL, uh, you can call us and we'll screen your call. We love hearing from you guys. Also, tweet at us. If you put the hashtag TunnelVision, I can put your tweet up on the screen. Yeah. Um, but the guys, hashtag TunnelVision, don't put like, at Keely is my name. Don't, don't yeah. do any of the ads because it would just do t- hashtag TunnelVision and yeah. your question. It'll be a lot easier to show on the screen. It'll be... I know uh, it's weird. Sorry. It's just clunky, but... It's clunky, but that's how the system works. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Excited to talk about the show, but we have to get to some news first before we do so. Uh, some tragic news out of USC today. Uh, former offensive lineman Chris Brown uh, pr- passed away too soon. Um, he was a part of USC's 2016 Rose Bowl team. Started all 14 games in the 2017 that went to the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, We heard from head coach Clay Hilton. He tweeted today, uh, sending his condolences to the Brown family, but he passed away too young. Um, And we all got to know him. He was a a great guy. And if you haven't already, look at the quote tweets on uh, Clay Hilton's tweet, uh, because you can tell he touched a lot of people's lives. Um, So just a sad thing out of USC and another uh, offensive lineman. They also lost Max Turk earlier uh, this year. So just some sad news for the Trojan family today. Yeah, it was about, I guess about a year ago uh, with Max Turk, too. And when I saw the Chris Brown thing, I was like, the Max Turk stuff coming to my head, like, wait, is this, oh my, oh my God, this is another, you know, former USC offensive lineman from, you know, very recent past that passed away. He was great to talk to when we were at practice. He had that kind of music career that he would talk to when you would uh, interview him about other things and just, you know, was as steady, like when you just looked at him, he was like an offensive lineman. He was just like some dude that did his job all the time, was steady. Underrated in that sense. Very, very underrated, yeah. yeah. And uh, man, we, I mean, don't know what happened. It's, it's obviously 24 years old, way too young. So way we'll, young. Yeah, we'll, yeah, our condolences to the family and just someone from the Trojan family would definitely be missed. Yep. 
Alrighty, let's uh, hard transition, but we got to do it anyway. Transitioning into USC's 2021 spring game, guys. I know we said we would kind of go back and revisit whether or not it was going to be a showcase or a spring game. I think we can officially call it a spring game. We saw four quarters. There are refs. There's tackling. Uh, I guess Ryan, I haven't picked your brain yet, so let's start with you. What were your overall thoughts from the day? Yeah, it was. It was a spring game. Uh, a little, you know, different. Where we saw you're looking at, oh, who's the starting offensive line? Like. Oh, uh, Jalen McKenzie got demoted to the second string. Well, no, wait. It was a complete draft of all of the players. So that was kind of a neat wrinkle where you have Todd Orlando on one side, Graham Harrell on another, uh, you know, Seth Diggy and, and Mike Jenks, you know, running the offenses and calling the plays. So you had like the two head coaches that were coordinators and Clay Hilton sort of overseeing everything. You know, there's some give and take by having uh, the teams be drafted. You didn't really get to see the full offensive line, you know, the, whatever the first string offensive line was we, the same one we've been seeing the, you know, the last few couple of weeks uh, play together. Um, so I think there was definitely some issues uh, with the offensive line. Uh, a lot of sacks given up, these virtual sacks. You know, there were some of those plays that either, you know, any of the quarterbacks probably could have got out of some of those. But basically, if someone kind of came by you, you were sacked. And uh, you would hear that, you know, Vic Soto, if it was his team, you know, sack, sack, and all that stuff. But there was a lot of sacks. I mean, there was one series, you know, poor Miller Moss, he gets back there, you know, sack. Tries to run the football, goes nowhere. He doesn't even, like, he gets a snap and he's sacked, like, almost instantly. You're like, yep, that wasn't much of a series. So uh, there, that, those were some issues, but we did see some really cool performances. Uh, you know, like a guy like Jackson Dart, I thought, you know, made the most of his opportunities and played well. You know, you Drake London's, if you're a Drake, you're a stud. Drake London, stud. <laughs> Drake Jackson, stud, you know. But we got to see, like, a, a Dorian Hewitt come back and, and make a really nice play on a ball. That interception was pretty cool. Chris Steele talked about picking off some passes when we got to hear from him. I think it was earlier last week, and he did that. He picked up a pass, so uh, that was cool. Funny moment, Spencer Gilbert, you know, walk-on, uh, you know, um, linebacker, his mom's the, the track coach. He came in and, like, I think, made a tackle or something, and we could hear from the press box, there was, like, a Spencer Gilbert, you yeah, know, you we love Spencer or something like that. I forget what the cheer was, but it was something, like, cool. for. And then he ends up intercepting a pass, like, on the very next play, so they sort of called it out. Uh, it did look like 5,000 people were there. I don't know how many people were there, but it looked it was pretty sparse. Only on the press box side, uh, there were fans. But it was cool to see fans. I walked around the, the boxes earlier. There were you know people in their luxury boxes. Normally, they can hold 30. They only let 10 people in there. Uh, but you know, they, you know, it seemed like the fans uh, had a good time. Uh, it was definitely fun for us. We could film the whole thing. Make sure you check out Keeley's video, the highlight video, and uh, Shotgun got a bunch of good photos from from the sidelines and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I thought. This was much better. I had a much better feeling coming out of this spring game than the showcase from 2019 or some of those other ones. Just like, it just seemed like kind of a waste. I don't feel like this one was a waste. It's a little weird. You still got two weeks of practices to go. But overall, I give it high marks. I like the way they ran it. And I think they could have been doing it this way for the last several years. But kudos. Glad they kind of switched and, and did something that felt more like a game. Shotgun, your thoughts? Well, first I want to hear Ryan's thoughts. Uh, one thing oh. you didn't really touch on was the drafting overall. What, what did you make uh, of the drafting? <laughs> did you like that because it mixes and matches and you know creates that competition? Or do you dislike it because now you don't have some of those units working together and maybe that's something you do want? I think when you get down to the new, like you're drafting individual players, I think you could have put some groups out there. Like I want to draft the first team offensive line or the whatever. Like that might have been a cool, you know, like you get the first offensive line together and the second offensive line together. Like that's a, a unit that you would draft. Doing the individual people, it, it just seemed like, you know, it did it hurt the defensive lineman? I don't think so. I mean, did, you know, do you see Tuli Tui Pelotu or uh, Jay Toy? I mean, those guys were in there. Drake Jackson was, you know, making all kinds of plays. 
it didn't seem to affect those guys as much. But when you have to have this unit play together, I think the offensive line, it was maybe that was a mistake to, to split those guys up. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, that's the, the one the one position group where you really want them to work together. But they did talk about how they're going to mix and match about with the offensive line. We've that been wondering that when that's going to happen, and, and you know we got a true true mix and match in, in this game. Um, so that was kind of the that was probably the most interesting thing for me is the the decision to go with the drafting and to do it all the way through, not just with uh, you know not just with posi- certain positions or you know they they put that offensive line. And I think there's actually something that came out of it. Now, I didn't notice this at first, but having rewatched it, and I haven't fully rewatched the entire thing that was uh, broadcast on the Pac-12 networks, but watched the first half and watched it pretty intently, they may have found their left tackle. And that may be Andrew Voorhees. Andrew Voorhees looked really good at left tackle in that game. I know the offensive line as a whole didn't look good because some of those younger guys were the ones who were getting beat, and they were getting beat over and over again. Uh, that's actually what it was when I go back and wa- watched it. The older guys, for the most part, were doing their part. Uh, did some nice, you know, with Voorhees working beside. Uh, I'm trying to remember who he was working beside as a guard, but you know, he was in there at, at left tackle, and on the other side, you had Liam Jimmins and, and uh, Jalen McKenzie were working together with one uh, line unit together. So, you know, some of those groups were, were. I think the pairings were a little bit closer together. You know, they tried to put. McKenzie and uh, Jimmins together on one side. They, they put Voorhees, and I'm trying to, I, for some reason, I'm from blanking on it. Maybe it was Dietrich that was in there at guard beside him. I think he was, yeah. Um, but, you know, they had those kind of pairings together because those are the guys you got to communicate with the most is the guy right beside you. Uh, so, you, you know, I, I think that maybe he's a guy they take a, an official look at now because Clay Helton before the spring said that, you know, he gave a list of four names, and Andrew Voorhees was not one of those names. Yeah. You know, he mentioned Jonah Monheim, who played right tackle. He, he had an up and down day. Uh, he mentioned Jalen McKenzie, who we have not seen play any left tackle yet. He's been, you know, at right tackle the entire time. And then he mentioned the two guys that have played left tackle, Cortland Ford and Casey Collier. And when Collier not there yesterday, Voorhees gets that opportunity as a left tackle and looked pretty good, in my opinion. Now, he, there's a couple of things where he would have to improve on, uh, you know, just as far as anchoring and not getting pushed back as much. But keeping his man in front of him, switching on some of the, the stunts and stuff, he looked really good at that. And he has played some left tackle, some right tackle before in his USC career at practice and a little bit in the games, I believe, at right tackle as, as a freshman. So maybe that's something they explore, just something that kind of happened out of the, the mix and match that they had. And because Casey Collier wasn't there, but maybe he took advantage of it enough to, to be able to, to play up there. So the, the rest of the offensive line, a lot of times, like I said, it was the younger guys that were getting beat. Um, you, you know, the guys that were playing with those starters, but in the other spot. So your, your Gino Quinones, your Jason Rodriguez, getting that opportunity to step up. And, you know, those were the guys that were getting beat for some of those tackles for loss and, and some of those sacks as well. Interesting. And maybe that's the benefit of, of having kind of a unique format as you suddenly say, hey, maybe Andrew Voorhees could be left tackle. I mean, if that's the case, let's just play it out. I know you don't like hypothetical shotgun. <laughs> Do you then move uh, uh, Dietrich into Andrew Voorhees' open guard spot? I think you, then the competition becomes less about the left tackle if you, you know, and he would still have to prove it. On, it's more than one day, but, sure. you know, if he proves himself these last couple of weeks, they say, let's give this a try for a couple of weeks and see where we're at. 
and they make that decision coming out of spring, I think that opens up the the competition for that other guard spot. And now, you know, Cortland Ford, Casey Collier, are they going to – can you slide them inside? Or do you need to – you know, do they put pressure on Jalen McKenzie on the other side along yeah, with Jonah Monheim? Um, do you – is a guy like, you know, Liam Douglas, we haven't seen him out there because he's been injured. Can he get in that competition? I think it opens up the competition more – yeah, I think there's a, a wider breadth of competition at the guard spot than there would be at the tackle spot. Because the tackle, you know, there's certain skill sets that you really need to have, and you really want that length, that athleticism. And, and the guard spot, you can you can do it a little bit differently. I think there's more options there for that. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be able to watch the film from this, and, uh, you know, maybe we can get some reaction from some of the coaches who we get to talk to this week, uh, you know, after you'll be in the Zooms on the days of practice before, you know, we go to campus. But I do feel like Monheim was someone that was putting some pressure on Jalen McKenzie. The Andrew Voorhees thing could, you know, upset this complete apple cart. But I think you know, if they like what they're seeing at left tackle, they've talked about mixing and matching. We hadn't seen it yet. This might be the catalyst to do that. Now you got two weeks of, hey, we got to see Corlin Ford for eight practices or whatever, or nine practices playing left tackle. Let's see what, you know, maybe we do three with Andrew Voorhees. Maybe we do three with Casey Collier when he comes back. So that'll be interesting to see where – they needed someone at left tackle because Collier was gone. They put Voorhees out there and like, oh, wait, maybe he could be the guy. And that would be a you know a second year in a row where you're moving a, an interior guy out to the left tackle. Obviously, yeah. it worked with Elijah Vera Tucker. You didn't think he had any more uh, kind of you pieces. Know, yeah, pieces to put to put out there, but maybe he is that piece. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, something to watch for when we go to practice on Tuesday, see if they uh, play uh, Andrew Voorhees there. But uh, let's talk about the quarterback play. Shotgun, I know you and I uh, deemed it as an up-and-down day for USC's quarterbacks. Ryan, I wanted your thoughts. What did you think about that? Yeah, I th- um, the, the Rainer Troy folks said it was a pretty hard day to kind of evaluate the quarterbacks because there was a, a lot of pressure. And I, I tend to Agree with that. I mean, we saw the way they split it up was you had Keaton Slovis and Jackson Dart uh, on one side, and then you had uh, Mohassan and Miller Moss on the other. Uh, Mohassan ends up throwing the first touchdown pass. He had that little dump off or whatever to uh, Keontae Ingram. It goes for like 49 yards. Then he finds Brew McCoy. Really nice play there for a touchdown. He has a, like a nine-yard run, and I think that was the one where he sort of came up lame a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, apparently a knee injury at an MRI last night. I don't know. We haven't heard the, the results of that yet, but hopefully, you know, he can have a speed of recovery. I know he's posted some stuff on social media, but, uh, you know, don't know what the outcome of that MRI was at this point. But that left Miller Moss, the true freshman, sort of like, okay, I think there was one series on each side where a walk-on got a, a series. Neither yeah. one of those worked. And then, uh, you know, Miller Moss started off pretty good, moved the ball a little bit. And then, you know, he ends up throwing that interception. And uh, just after that, they did that side of the ball just couldn't get, I don't remember which team it was, gold or cardinal, whatever it was. No, no one was wearing cardinal. Like, the, the, <laughs> the, the colors didn't make any sense because everyone, you know, the the defense was in white and the offense was still in cardinal. I don't know why they just didn't give them all different uniforms, whatever. But that's, um, it would be nice to see they're on this team, they're on that team. Sure. Um, but for, you know, for Miller Moss, it just didn't feel like he had much of a, a shot. Like I mentioned that series, he got sacked a couple of times. Yeah. I think Jackson Dart had some, you know, probably the biggest swings, you know, there was like, Oh, that's a terrible interception, but man, that's an amazing pass. And you could see some of his athleticism when he was running uh, out of the pocket and stuff. So uh, you can see the upside there. I, when we came into this, we're like, what, who's going to be like a fan favorite coming out of this? And I think Dart has, uh, sort of secured that spot. I mean, he played, uh, pretty well, did some great things, but I, I felt like he was on the more stable side of the ball, you know, having a Drake London to throw to where you didn't, you sure. know, Michael Jackson was, he was amazing too. Um, you didn't really have that on the Miller Moss side. And Keely mentioned this before the show. Once Mohassan goes down, 
Moss was basically the guy running that whole side yeah. of the ball. And it, one of those things where you just need like a break, like, okay, I need to take a series off. And he never really had that opportunity. And, you know, Keaton Slovis threw that pick to, it was a you know, underthrown ball. Dorian Hewitt made a really nice play on that one, trying to go to London. But, you know, anytime you're able to throw the ball to Drake London, like I think either th all the three of us could look okay at times, like throwing to him. <laughs> so, so it was, yeah, I think it was up and down. I don't know if you want to like, Take have huge takeaways sure, away sure. with the way the quarterbacks played, but you know overall you saw some some good signs from all of them. I think. Yeah. Also, when I was going through my footage, there were like a couple series where Miller Moss were, it was hitting guys uh, on the numbers, but they just weren't catching the yeah. ball. So obviously that's not going to look great for it, him. But... It was a yeah, it was sort of skewed a little, which yeah. I feel bad because then people are like, "Oh, Jackson Dart's the best." You're like, "Oh, he might be," but you know. You're kind of discounting. But I, I warned you this would happen. Right? Yes. I, yeah. I knew something would happen where people see one play, one uh, spring game thing, and then suddenly it's it's the guy. He did have a couple darts. Like for like I said, like I tweeted like I, I mean like, what are you gonna how are you gonna describe that pass? That was a dart. Like he put it in a freaking postage stamp, you know, right sure. to. Uh, I think the first one was Drake London, and then you know the the, the fade to uh, Michael Jackson yeah. for the touchdown was nice too. Yeah. Shotgun, I know you're waiting with thoughts. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought that both of the young quarterbacks played with a lot of confidence early, and I think Miller Moss's confidence got kind of beat down. One, because the pressure was constant, and it wasn't early, and that's when he was throwing the ball a little bit better. Um, and he made a mistake on the interception, throwing it out there. Uh, I, I think Mike Jinks, I think Keeley heard Mike Jinks yelling at him when he came off the field. <laughs> yes. Because it was a, a run play basically the other side, and then all you have basically is a one-on-one -on -one with Brew McCoy and he and McCoy weren't on the same page. So he was looking and saw there was pressure, immediate pressure coming off the edge. He was going to throw it out there, McCoy one-on-one. -on -one. McCoy's trying to set up Chris Steele a little bit more, and Steele just reads the ball and goes and makes a play. So they weren't on the same page, and that's what you're going to get with guys that have been practicing together for three weeks. And actually, not even that, because Brew McCoy, that was his first pad, padded practice. So, you know, for a couple of practices so far, he's been working with Brew McCoy. That's kind of the miscommunication you get. DB reads it well, goes and makes a play. Miller Moss later, the fumble, you know, miscommunication or whatever it may be, have been with Keontae Ingram fumbles that one. So a couple turnovers where new guys getting, getting to know new guys and there's some issues with the communication, with the, you know, with knowing what exactly you're doing. I think it hurt his confidence a little bit. And then the pressure was just overwhelming kind of after that. You know, the first couple drives he did, he did all right as far as having some time to throw. The rest of the time, it seemed like people were on top of him almost the entire time. And that probably, you know, that starts with when you have a couple turnovers, okay, you want to think things through a little bit more, make sure that you're not creating a third turnover, yeah. you know, and so things move a little bit slower. And it's a big learning experience. You know, Clay Hilton said this was a developmental day for everyone all the way around with the coaches getting the opportunity to, you know, the coordinators being getting an opportunity to be the head coaches with some of the, the position coaches getting the chance to call plays. So, yes, it was. And, and maybe – and if they – if they did it the right way, then those guys should come away with that should be a developmental day. This is something with some of the elite college baseball coaches they'll do in the fall for their spring games, their spring World Series or whatever. They'll say, hey, assistant coach one, you get this team. Assistant coach two, I want to see what you guys can do. So I think it's a, an opportunity for those coaches to showcase their stuff and to learn a little bit because – if Graham Harrell or Todd Orlando does get a head coach job, okay, well, now you got a little bit of experience. You know, even if it's one little tiny game, you know, it, it, that little bit of experience does help a little bit. So I think it's developmental for them, but also those young quarterbacks in particular, this is something they're going back. And, and I'm sure Miller Moss, he's a cerebral guy. He loves watching tape. He's going to be picking through this tape for a couple weeks, you know, going over things that he did right, things he did wrong, and, and figuring out what he needs to do. Same thing with Jackson Dart. I mean, he made a couple really nice plays. He made a terrible throw on the interception, just, you know, never saw the defender right in front. 
front of him basically was overlooking it. So, you know, and, and it, a lot of it goes back to pressure. Both those guys, Dart did a good job rolling out of the pocket. Moss did uh, the same thing a couple of times. Keaton Slovis did a nice job getting outside of the pocket a couple of times. But there was constant pressure for the most part. Um, and when they didn't have pressure, the offense looked really good. You know, when there was a solid pocket, the quarterback seemed to throw and be able to connect with receivers pretty consistently when there wasn't, and that's going to be the big question for him all season, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's also worth noting that this game was broadcasted live on the Pac-12 network, so it wasn't like USC was going to just unleash all of its True, un- yeah. uh, offensive playbook. And I know some fans came away being like, that's it? That's the offense? Like, there, It's not everything, <laughs> for sure. Um, but as far as the defense goes, Clay Heldon was very complimentary of the linebacker play, but also the, the defensive line, like you said, Chuck, and they were in quarterbacks' faces a lot. <laughs> Yeah, they were all over the place, and there were multiple guys. thought Jay Toya had a monster day. Drake Jackson did a really good job coming off the edge as well. Jacob Lichtenstein got in the backfield. I mean, a lot of those guys were making diff- different guys making different plays at, at different times. So they were, they were a constant threat for the offense. So I, I thought the defense line played well. I thought when they ran the ball outside of short yardage situations, the yeah. offensive line created some holes as well. Yeah. Now they get away with some holds a couple times. Uh, so, you know, with more referees in an official game, maybe some of those are called. Um, I, one Stephen Carr running gets outside. There was a blatant hold that was not called. Uh, but that's going to happen in games too. So I thought the offensive line opened up some holes for, for the running backs. And the running backs had, a, you know, as far as their yards per carry, were pretty solid across the board. Uh, both uh, Stephen Carr, I think Stephen Carr was at like 5.7 or so. Uh, Matt Colombo, the walk-on, was up there as well. So, you know, they had some decent numbers on the ground. They had a couple of explosive plays and the big explosive play thrown to Keontae Ingram. But as far as the offense line blocking in the run game, I thought there were some flashes of some positive signs there as well. Yeah, short yardage was definitely... Same thing as, uh, as, as has been. And, yeah. And the fourth and two, let's start with that one, just because that one stands out in my mind. is early in the game. You, you're looking at it, this is the first... You know, goal line type of situation, short yard situation. Now, they're not going to break out some of the plays we've seen in practice because, just like Keeley said, it's being broadcast live. So if they have some stuff that they haven't shown in the past, then they're going to hold on to that and not show it to teams on TV. Just just keep that in mind. Uh, so if you saw the same play and we're like, this is the same thing I saw last year. Well, yeah, because they don't want to show anything new. They don't want to give it away. They want to spring it on a team instead. But Spring it on. I get what you did there. Huh? Nice. Ooh. <laughs> but fourth and two – The thing that I found interesting is I went back, I watched it three or four or five times, looked at each offensive lineman. No one got beat, but no one got a push. And I think that's going to be the difference in whether this team can take them the offensive line to the next level. You know, even the younger guys were on that. Jay Toya was going up against Gino Quinones, and Jay Toya has been having a monster uh, spring camp. And he won the battle because he didn't get pushed back. But he didn't necessarily, you know, get penetration. The run was just stuffed because there was nowhere to go. Just yeah. everyone kind of stonewalled, and it was an even, you know, even uh, match at the line of scrimmage. So that's the next step for the offensive line. I think that's a positive actually for them that they. It wasn't just a free rusher coming and, you know, the play was, you know, five yards in the backfield lost. It was just they got stonewalled at the line of scrimmage. They didn't get a push going forward. So maybe that's a small positive step for the offensive line. But I think that's the next step for them to turn it turn into being a decent offensive line, being a good offensive line, is being able to get a push on those short yard situations. Now if you can avoid having the free rusher come and hit your guy, now can you actually get a push and go forward? Yeah. yeah. One of the things I saw on Tuesday, I did like a report watching the practice on the defensive backs, and they definitely had some issues when the nickel – 
backward, you know, blitz from the yeah. slot. And I think you guys might have mentioned it on instant analysis too. We saw, I think Isaiah Polamau did yeah. a nice one, gets a sack there, just like running free, like nobody's touching them. Someone's got to yeah. pick that up. So that that was one of the issues too. Maybe you know, uh, but yeah, there was always there was a lot of pressure, and uh, it'll be interesting to see when Shotgun goes back and, and looks through the the tape on that to see you know that fourth and two play to see that the guys really didn't get beat. But what you need is a push on those kind of plays. And they had a couple. There was one, I think, when Stephen Carr scored from short yardage. So there was one, at least successful one. Uh, but, yeah, for the most part, you're sort of like, yeah, we saw that last year too. Yeah. But how much do you evaluate, like, okay, is USC's defensive line successful? This is also the ninth practice of spring with a new offensive line coach. How much do you factor all of that in when you are evaluating this offensive line? I think the biggest factor is just that you don't have the starting unit together. You know, sure. there's a bunch of individual guys. And just for, for the offensive line, they have to be – it's much more of a cohesive unit. You can put, like, four or five crazy defenders out there and put them in any order and just, like, go get, a, you know, go get the ball here. here. And, like, they can go after it. And even if they're not on the same page, yeah, you, they might leave a big gap and, and someone runs through it. But for the most part, you can be disruptive and make plays. It's really hard to – uh, to you know, to to get that kind of push with an offensive line where you're not used to playing next to each other, and you know, having Andrew Voorhees play left tackle, like it's great. Shotgun said it looked, you know, from the tape, it looked like he did a, a nice job. But that's that's a lot. That's a big ask putting someone out there that you know maybe he played there on Thursday. I'm not sure because we don't get to watch a Thursday yeah. practice, but he did not play there on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't even seen a different left tackle at fr- first team rather than uh, Quillen Ford. So. Yeah. It's just been different in that sense. Um, I'm going to go into questions just because we have a lot, and I don't want to overlap by asking you guys questions that people have already asked. Uh, before we do so, though, we have two callers on the line, so I'm going to go to them first. Um, let's go to our first caller. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Hey, what's your uh, question, question for the team? question is... Pardon? Sorry, what's your question for the team? The question for the team is, what uh, is the story on Keenan Kristen? Is he still on the roster? Yeah, he's still there. Um, what we had heard originally was doing track, uh, but we haven't seen him at practice at all. So he's still on the roster, but we haven't seen him out there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is similar to when Adoree you know, went and ran track during the spring. And now Adoree did stop by a couple practices. We did see his face occasionally, but he never was practicing with the team in the spring either. We did see Adoree yesterday, which is always a positive thing. Because yeah, he's, he's such, a, such a bright light yeah. uh, <laughs> to, to any any situation that he's in. Um, but we haven't seen Ken and Kristen around, so that's, you know, it's a little bit of a concern just because we haven't necessarily seen him. And, you know, that starts people going wondering, you know, with the running back depth and, you know, is there questions about is he going to transfer? But as far as we know, nothing like that. He's just running track right now. We'll see how things continue to progress as the you know as the spring ends and then as the summer workouts and stuff go on. Mm-hmm. And was, it's, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I also don't know how much COVID protocols play into that shotgun as far oh, as seeing point. him. So yeah. I, I don't know about that. Sorry, There Ryan. could be some COVID protocols. But it's unfortunate because you guys got to watch, you know, uh, Keontae Ingram. And he looks like the starter. Like he could be the starter. And, uh, you know, I thought Stephen Carr uh, played well too, but... We saw that in practice. It looked, you know, he looked at the part in the game, maybe the most explosive play of the game that, that he had and making guys miss. And it looked like he would have scored a touchdown, except Eric Krobachok got in the way. I don't know if you saw that on the, the tape two <laughs> shotgun. Uh, like, the, you know, his own blocker is the one that like basically brought him down. Um, but he looks legit. And, you know, when Kristen was already like kind of playing third or fourth before, uh, another guy can jump ahead. Brandon Campbell's looked pretty good. So, it's great if you're going to run track, but if he had the opportunity to, you know, to play spring football, 
I don't know. It, it might have set him back a little bit by not uh, not being out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because you have two new guys come in and they're vying for opportunities. You know, Brandon Campbell has shown some really positive uh, flashes. Graham Harrell, the, according to the broadcast, Graham Harrell told them that every time he touches the ball, something special could happen. So those are the type of players you go, okay, we've got to find a way to get them in the game. And that's the same thing with Keenan Kristen. He's so fast, if you can get him a little crease, he can turn a 40-yard run into a 40-yard run with a quickness. So, you know, you've got to still be out there to earn those opportunities, though. So I, I think that it's not advantageous for him not to be here in the spring when there's two new guys coming in that are vying for those chances, too. And Ingram looked really good now. Both those guys on the ground didn't really do too much. I mean, 13 carries for 39 yards combined for Ingram and Campbell. You know, they were playing with with a, the the other offensive line. I can't even call them the second offensive line. <laughs> I would say the second best offensive line um, when they were in the game with Mohassan and Miller Moss as well. So on that on the Cardinal team, the Gold team, I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. I wish they'd have given them separate names. Maybe I would have had a better chance. But no, they they didn't really run the ball well between the tackles there. They didn't get a, a ton of a big carries or anything. But Ingram has the big catch, and he made like six dudes miss on the play. I yeah. didn't miss. He like pushed him down. He was like, nope. <laughs> I mean, he, he stiff-armed Raymond Scott. He went right by uh, Chris Steele. He went up the sideline and beat Britton Allen, I think. Uh, he made a lunging and tackle attempt. Couldn't get there. Zamarian Gordon couldn't get there. He breaks the ankles off his former Texas teammate, Xavier Alford, cutting back inside. And then, like Ryan said, said the only guy that could really take him down was Eric Cromanook. <laughs> now, I don't blame Eric Cromanook no, on this. Yeah. Because he's 45 yards downfield (laughs) trying to help block. So I give him a ton of credit, actually, for being down there and making that effort. Uh, But as Ingram was trying to cut back, you know, he ran into Kromanuk there, and that's when the defense was finally able to tackle him. But a 49-yard play, explosive play by just checking the ball down. This was, if you you remember, this was the drive that started terribly. USC, the offense had two consecutive penalties. It was first and 25. I think they ran the ball once, and then Ingram gets his big play. Yeah. One play later, they throw it to Brew McCoy for a touchdown. So you go from first and 25, drive pretty much can be over, to touchdown three plays later. Yeah, it was like second 20-something, right? Like it still yeah, was. Yeah, second like yeah. 23, probably. <laughs> it makes me wonder what would have happened in a live, live situation because the defender coming at whoever the quarterback was, I'm forgetting right now, was very close. It was a oh, quick, yeah, yeah, it was a quick dump off. So I'm not sure, but it was still a nice play nonetheless. So uh, we'll see. Go check out my highlights. I have a great... Uh, view of that so uh, be sure to do that let's go to our second caller of the night hello you're live on tunnel vision hello gang nice to talk to you again this is gilbert from sherman oaks what's up gilbert and uh first of first of all my condolences to the entire brown family and in fact the entire trojan family tragic loss yeah um moving on um I was at the spring game uh, yesterday, my daughter and the group. Uh, Yes, Ryan, I agree with you. It was finally kind of a spring game, and I really enjoyed it. Good. All right. Uh, The question, top question was, I stayed for the whole thing, and if somebody can shed light on who number 34 running back is, I think it's Colombo. I don't know where he comes from. I don't know if he's a walk-on or what he is, but he looked terrific. He he reminded me of the guy that I supported for, for a couple of years, Marquis Stepp. 
this guy looks for real. Anyway, uh, secondarily, I was part of the group that was chanting Spencer Gilbert, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we did get a reaction. I didn't know if, if it was uh, heard up in the press box. And that same group, believe it or not, started chanting uh, Carol Folk. She was down there with her baseball cap and whatever, and she actually turned around and acknowledged uh, the group. Well, that, I thought that was pretty good. Last question, and I guess this should go to uh, uh, to Mr. Shotgun, is do we know anything about uh, the circumstances of J, uh, C.J., um, uh, the, I think his name is Taylor. Uh, anyway, the, the, the best ball player that decommitted, oh, Allen, his name's Allen, decommitted from USC to Texas Tech. And with that, I'll, I'll sit and listen uh, to your responses. Thank you Thanks. for the call. Yeah. I don't remember what the first question was now. It was too long. Start, start with Matt Colombo. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I don't know that he really fits the, the void of Marquis Step. Yeah. I mean, he's listed at 185 pounds at 5'11", not quite the, the 230 or so that Marquis Step was. He, his background is he's from St. John Bosco, played on some of those terrific teams along with Braylon Goforth and um, uh, Chris Steele yeah. and a number of those Bosco players that are on USC's team. Uh, here's a list of it. Jude Wolf, Spencer Gilbert, Will Rose, Kobe Pepe, Danny Lockhart Jr., and Max Gibbs, who will be coming in the fall. All those guys, St. John Bosco guys. So he's from a really good high school program. He's a quality guy to have as, as an extra walk-on. Um, and maybe he'll vie for an opportunity at, on special teams and stuff. That'll be a question, but uh, he's nowhere—he's not going to get any carries in an actual game. Uh, he's sixth on the depth chart at best, you know, because you have the four scholarship guys. You have Quincy Junty, who's also in scholarships, so technically five scholarship guys, the former walk-on. So Colombo is down the list a little bit there. But he did look good in this ga- game. Uh, you know, he had some opportunities and made the most of them, and he carried for seven times for 47 yards had actually the best average overall for any running back at 6.7. So, yeah, give him credit where he, where where credit is due and you know, he had a really nice day, but um on to move forward to the KJ Allen, the power forward, you may have seen him on Last Chance U this season. He decommitted. Now, I asked, you know, a team source about him a couple weeks ago, you know, what was the status of him and said everything looked fine. They were just, you know, waiting for him to get his grades taken care of to be able to to come to get his finish off his degree and be able to to join the team. So I think they were a little bit surprised by that. I haven't got an official word from anyone um, uh, about that, but it, from signs that uh, from pl- people I've talked to, that it, it seemed like they were expecting him to arrive on campus and, and be ready to go for next year's team. So now they have an extra scholarship available. We'll see what they do with it, whether they try to go look for another forward or if they, if they look for a point guard or a scoring guard. There's a, they still have two scholarships open right now. And then, depending on Isaiah Mobley's status, they could potentially end up with a third as well. All righty. Thank you for the call. We love talking to you guys. Let's jump into questions. First off, it's from Mike on Facebook who says, which new player will play the most in the fall? For the sake of this question, I'm going to label new as transfer and incoming freshman. Yeah, to me, this is Conte Ingram. I think he's going to end up being the starter. Crazy, Ooh. yeah. That's uh, going out the limb. Saying he's going to be starting running back. You yeah. Heard it here first. Who is going to play the most? Is that the question? Which new player will play the most? So that brings in the participation charts. Oh. Um, and running backs don't ever play the most. You know, they're not playing every snap. <laughs> going so technical. So Xavier Alford ends up playing the most because safeties don't come off the field basically, and I think he can win one of those those starting spots as well. 
That's fair. I think starting running back will trump it, though. So I, I, I answered the question, Ryan. Semantics sure. are important. <laughs> uh, I'm required to say uh, welcome to the Family Feud podcast because that's a uh, shotgun's line. <laughs> nice. Um, let's jump into uh, YouTube questions. Rick said, if Jackson Dart starts to outshine Keaton Slovis, could he take over the starting quarterback position? How do we know this was coming? <laughs> In theory, yes. In reality, no. Hells to the no. No, and part of it is the relationship that Keaton Slovis and Graham Harrell have built. I mean, Graham Harrell talked about when he was asked about staying instead of, you know, he was offered some other offers. He said, well, I really like it here. And basically Keaton Slovis has a chance to win the Heisman. That looked great on my resume. Um, so, you know, he's built, he's put his chips in the Keaton Slovis uh, pots, and, and I think that's where he's going to stay. So I, I think it would take someone overruling him. Now, would Clay Holton do that, or would he leave it up to his offense coordinator to pick the quarterback? That'd be hard to say. And just because you saw some positive things from Jackson Dart doesn't mean that he has a lot of stuff to work on. He's still a true freshman. He's going to make some wild plays, but there's still things that you got to work on. You can't throw the ball right to the linebacker mm-hmm. or no. to Joshua Jackson, who was at a linebacker depth. This is an early outbreak of the backup quarterback-itis where that happens all the time. <laughs> like, we see this so much, you know, very with so many times throughout history. Yes. The most popular dude on the team is the backup quarterback. We don't even know if he's going to be the backup quarterback. Like, Miller yeah. Moss might be just, you know – all the other stuff in the quarterback room. Like, did we see Keaton Slovis like look amazing when he was named the number two guy? But, you know, Graham Harrell saw some stuff. If he sees some stuff in Miller Moss or, if, you know, Mohassan or whatever. And I mean, Jack Stark could be fourth on the depth chart. We don't know. But to go, oh, yeah, he's going to like beat out Keaton Slovis, like, no. Did I not call this right? Yes. I called this. Yes. Uh, yeah. Did, so there's a similar question. Eddie asks, how funny is it going to be when the guy USC fans hated, JT Daniels, wins the Heisman and the guy they loved, Jack Sears, is third string at Boise State? And I think that's the back back uh, backup QBitis there. It's like Jack Sears, why is he not in there? He's got running abilities. That, yeah. And he hasn't been able to break the, the, the into the starters role at, at Boise State outside of, I believe, one start last year when um, their quarterback was down with an injury. So, you know, wishing him the best up there at Boise State, and yeah. hopefully he can this year. But I think that shows you that, that people really jump on that backup QB bandwagon when things aren't going great. Now, yeah. we'll see where USC is at in the fall and how the offense looks then as to whether anybody wants to complain about the starting quarterback or not. I feel really bad for JT Daniels because I just feel like he just got a bad rap the whole time. We, I think we were all pretty steady. We are like, hey, he's good. He played in the gumbo, which was terrible. Yeah. And there was sort of like the, the you know, maybe the Clay Helton stink a little bit that got on him and people were like, oh, he's a Clay Helton guy or something. You know, we don't like him. And now well, that he's... the scapegoat because you go from 2017 with Sam Darnold, you go to the Pac-12 Championship, you go to uh, JT Daniels 2018 and you go five and seven. Everyone put it on JT. And that's when we were like, okay, calm down. A yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slow your roll. Yeah. Uh, whatever. But... And now that he's gone, they're like, see, we told you. They're like, no, you hated him before. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't understand. We remember but, these things. Yes. <laughs> uh, we have a question on Facebook from Bert who said, uh, not sure if you hit on this yet, but with the line being split up, should we really be worried about the offensive line or did USC not get a good look on Saturday? Or did USC not look good on Saturday? Excuse me. I, I'm not as concerned after rewatching the broadcast and seeing, you know, some of the starters, you know, looking at them, they were making their blocks. Uh, there's still some issues, definitely going to be some issues. And I think, it, you know, I, I think there's some positive signs that I took away from it too on uh, rewatching it. So not as concerned as I was before because looking at where a lot of the pressures came from, it was guys that are second string or third string guys. Ryan, any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, 
I, I really do think the biggest factor was you didn't have the, those groups playing together. I mean, I yeah. think there's good. there was concern about the offensive line going into the spring last season. While we're watching spring football, after the spring game, there's going to be concern going forward. What level? I think they have to figure out who that top five is and then see how they play together. It could be very different than what we saw the first few weeks. And it doesn't obviously it doesn't really matter right now. They want to get that group ready by, you know, whoever it is by the end of spring. And then they can work throughout the offseason together and then going into fall camp and really do their best. You know, they got talented running backs. You got a great quarterback. If you can protect him and open up some holes, push some people around when it's third and one. Yeah, you can do some great things. Why is, why is, I don't know why Chuck is laughing. Sorry, I just saw a question, upcoming question. I apologize. That's sorry. okay. I got ahead of myself there as I'm adding the questions to our doc for Keeley. Um, AKA Boone asked Shotgun, is it too early for the Devin Brown starting QB debate? I <laughs> know uh, we, we got we need to start that one and the potential Malachi Nelson starting QB oh, debate. 2023 yeah. recruit who's not even committed to USC. Yeah, exactly. So might as well start it now. AKA Boone, you get a, a new reward. First to make Shotgun <laughs> laugh while putting the questions in. Well done. <laughs> uh, we got a question from JC or JEC who said Lake McCree had a pretty nice fully extended catch on a pretty hard thrown ball. Does he have a realistic shot at playing time this year? What? How much do they play the the tight end guys? I don't know. I mean, they, the fact, right now they're playing because there's not mm -hmm. as many receivers. Uh, we don't. I mean, we got to see what they're going to play. You know, but he looks he looks like he can play. A lot of two tight end sets yesterday. A lot of two running back sets, and that is again limited numbers on the wide receiver, at least scholarship wide receiver depth chart. Uh, and then Gary Bryant Jr. leaving with a hamstring injury made it even a lighter yeah. depth chart there. So, you know, that'll be a big question. How much do the tight end, how much playing time do the tight ends earn in the fall will, will be determined then. Uh, but Lake McCree, it will depend. He, he has a legit shot, but it will depend on what the coaches are looking for. Because right now he's a receiving tight end. He's still got a, a lot of work to do on the blocking end. I think the same thing is going to happen when Michael Trigg gets in. Yep. He's a jumbo wide receiver. They're going to they're going to need a little bit of time as true freshmen coming in. Same thing anytime you have a true freshman offensive lineman coming in. So they, got, they got a little bit of time to, to be able to catch up to the speed of the college game to be able to block at that level. So I think that's something if they need a guy out there that they're going to split out, then maybe McCree becomes an option. Now we saw we didn't see Ethan Ray yesterday, so that made even more opportunities for for um, McCree. for McCree to come in and get some opportunities. Josh Follow did return, which is a good, a very positive sign yeah. after the injury we saw early in camp, and you know looked pretty serious. Thankfully, it wasn't. So you know, can he beat out Josh Follow as the receiving option? That would be you know he would have to do that first, and then Trigg coming in as well. I think is going to be a beast trying to catch you know beast catching the ball and, and trying to beat him out. So I think. If they're looking for just a receiving tight end, then he's got a good opportunity. But if they want the guy that can be out there and block as well, he's got he's got to make some make up some ground there. We got a Twitter live question sure. from Len DJ. Uh, this is for all of you. How would you rate the overall take on the on the team after the spring game? So, like, how do you rate? Uh, and it's hard to do. I mean, it's, after it's the middle game. of the spring camp. Yeah. And so I, I don't think you can take away too much. I think you can be uh, encouraged by what you saw on the defensive side of the ball, especially the defensive line. I just think that I've said it multiple times, but I just think the defensive line is really intriguing because it's just a cast of characters who I think Vic Soto is getting a lot out of that group. Mm -hmm. And so they, they are performing well so far. I think you're going to see the defense play a little bit better than last year. And I think the offense is still sort of up in the air. You lose a couple of huge targets. I think the running back group will be even a little better. 
than it was last year. The offensive line is still going to be the big question. That could be yeah. the, the the wrench in the in the works there. Yeah, but I think it's too early to judge the offensive line. I know yeah. we've said it multiple times in the show, but I think that's the case. I think special teams will be a little better too. They they only fair, fair cut balls yesterday, yeah. but I feel like they're gonna. It's going to be a good special teams year. Just hiring a good special teams coach matters, and they did that. Mm-hmm. Shadi, any thoughts? Uh, I think it's always way too soon to judge a team based off a spring game. Yeah. I mean, one, injuries play into it. Who's not available? Who is available? That's when you see guys, uh, you know, you've seen some standouts at the spring game and you go, wow, maybe that guy will get some opportunities. And then they never get, get an opportunity yeah. Yeah. To, to jump up and be in the mix. Uh, so, you know, they, you got to take advantage of the opportunities you get in the spring when guys are down. But then when those starters come back, it makes it that much more difficult for, for certain guys to, to jump up and, and earn playing time. So that's why, you know, a lot of times it can be the matchup, who's winning those matchups. And that's what I'm kind of talking about with the offensive line. A lot of times there were matchups where, you know, starting defense lineman versus a second or third string, a green offensive lineman, then the starting defense alignment is usually going to win that battle. So I think that was a little bit of the case yesterday. Not the whole case for sure. I think they were off, the defense line has been very positive, you know, has made a ton of strides from where we saw them a, a year and a half ago to, to now. And a lot of guys are making plays. So I, I think they're a group that continues to catch our eye. And so you take away the positives from it and say, okay, let me keep an eye on these type of things rather than saying that's set in stone, that guy looked great, and that's where it's going to be going forward. No, I think you, you take a look at it and you say, Andrew Voorhees looked positive. Let's see where it goes from here the next couple weeks of spring camp. But you got to get into fall camp when you're actually running your real game stuff. You're you know working on stuff for other teams. And then you see what another team throws at you eventually, too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of broad takes, we got a question from Mark Watkins who said, How concerned should USC fans be about the safety position other than Anthony Beavers, who was good with the exception of that one play? The safety play as a whole was really bad on Saturday, he says. I didn't. Think it was really bad. I'd have to go back and watch again, but you know, I think Isaiah Polamau is, a, you know, you're going to like him. He's going to play uh, nickel a lot of times, but I, you know, I no, I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. Why would he? I don't know. Chuck, do you think the safety play was bad? I, I don't think it was. I mean, I think the safety play is in flux right now, and part of that is with uh, IPM playing that that the nickel position is that where he's going to be in the future is chase Williams. Is he more suited for that? Do you move him down? I thought Britton Allen had a few nice plays in the game at the, you know, coming off the nickel spot, you know, they were able to create pressure off the edge from the nickel spot multiple times. So that's the safeties, you know, over the top, they got beat once. And that was the the throw over the middle to, to Drake London. The rest of the time, it was usually just a cornerback one-on-one. So I don't really blame the safeties anything anywhere there. So I, you know, when you're not getting beat over the top, then that's usually how you measure up the safeties and do they come down and make tackles in the box. And I thought they did that as well today. There weren't a ton of big plays in this game, and usually that's a way to kind of measure the safeties. Big plays on offense a lot of times come back to, to where your over-the-top defenders are. And the safeties, you know, we're, we're in the right place to, to not give up those really big plays, I think. Mm-hmm. We got a question on Facebook from Chuck who says, is there a way to watch SC games when they are on the Pac-12 network when you have direct TV? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Sean actually on Facebook said, try a two-week trial on Sling. Depending on if it's worth it, you can just get a small subscription uh, for the games on the Pac-12 network. So yeah, you basically need another streaming service. Uh, I've done Sling before. I don't have it right now. I probably should get it again. I don't, I don't get to watch all my spring games from the Pac-12, which is... Uh, is troublesome, but yeah, it's it's a pain. I'm sorry if you have Directv. There's no 
connection to the Pac-12 network. We're hopeful, you know, with a new commissioner coming in, they have to revamp the Pac-12 network. My guess is they're going to get rid of the regional, uh, you know, networks because they have seven of them right now. And uh, yeah, so, but get Sling, something like that. I think Sling might be the cheapest way if you just want the Pac-12 network and uh, you can get Sling TV, which is just a streaming service. Potentially even easier than that is just waiting until they get a new Pac-12 commissioner and then hopefully they get on direct TV. Yeah, I'm sort of waiting for that right now. I'm like, you know, they're going to fix this at some point. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to sign up for we'll Slick see. again. Put in a lot of faith in the Pac-12, Ryan. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's so dumb. I have a streaming service. I have YouTube TV. Like, why isn't it on the streaming services? You know, like, it's just, there's so many things that, that are wrong with that. Sanchez11 on YouTube says, uh, where do Solomon Tulial Pupu and Jordan ISF fit when they come back? Do Kanai, Malga, and Raylan go forth ride the bench if they do come back? I don't think there's bench riding. There'll probably yeah, be some rotation and stuff for sure. But you would like to have a little more depth there. And uh, you know, a guy like Solomon Tulial Pupu, man, you talk to, you know, you still talk to people that watch him in high school like, oh my God, he was amazing. It's like, yeah, we haven't seen him. We've seen him like one practice or something at USC. And, uh, you know, we've seen ISF, unfortunately, he's just been banged up for the last, what, two years or something. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think I mean, they, I think they're all going to be able to play. You just need some more depth there. Yeah. And also worth remembering that riding the bench is a little dramatic just because yeah. at least uh, Kanai and Goforth have played games uh, in Todd Orlando's system, whereas uh, Jordan ISF and uh, Solomon haven't. So it's different. They'll have to get back to t time and, and rehab and whatnot. So just, yeah, just there'll be an it. acclimation period. Just yes, kind of learning exactly. the, the system. But we saw the linebackers get better. Like the whole defense yeah. basically as you learn things, but and again, just like Keaton Kristen missing some time, those guys missing some time, you get more, you know, this is when Todd Orlando wanted to build that culture of toughness and all that. And these guys are having the opportunity. So it's going to be a little tougher to, uh, you know, take their spots, but you know, they're very talented guys, so they'll have that opportunity. It's just you don't have, you know, you're you're missing out on some great reps and great opportunities to kind of bond and impress the coaches, uh, all the new coaches on the defensive side. Mm -hmm. We got multiple questions about Josh Jackson, so I'm going to ask both of them. Mark Watkins says, "Did Jay Toya and Josh Jackson have legit shots to start this season? Both were impressive." And then AKA Boone says, "Is Josh Jackson a dude? All caps or just a dude? Lowercase uh, because the limited numbers?" Question mark. Ryan, you want to shout at it? Or? I'm sorry, I was putting a question in there. You go first. <laughs> uh, Josh Jackson, I think, has an opportunity to be a starter. I don't know that he's a dude yet. Well, let's, let's calm down on that. It takes a lot for me to give out that that phrase. Um, yeah, that's that's NFL first, second round guy. That's that's who I consider dudes. Um, so I don't think he's at that level. He has a chance to be in that competition, though. I mean, he's made a lot of plays. He's shown that he's willing to come up and, and tackle what you need from your cornerbacks. And, you know, he's shown that he's fearless and going out there. Now, he also got juked out of his shoes once by Mike Jack uh, on a play on the sideline. Uh, he got beat for, uh, uh, I think, a, a long catch up the sideline as well. So he's just growing pains you know that's what you expect out of a first year player and that's what he is he's a first year cornerback right now so but he's shown a lot of flashes which is a really positive sign and i'm also curious to see when they get the two young guys on campus in the summer and the uh, fall when you get profit brown you get sierra right how much more competition become is there at the cornerback position or does it become a point where you feel like chris Steele is Head and shoulders above with, and I'll leave it blank, is that Isaac Taylor Stewart? Is that uh, Jaden Williams, who's looked really good at times this spring as well? Is that someone like Joshua Jackson? I think Chris Steele is probably going to be a starter the entire time. 
Now, who else is going to be the other starter? Isaac Taylor Stewart. We've seen flashes. Can we get that consistency? Uh, he gave up the touchdown to Brew McCoy in, in the game. So, you, you know, you're looking for, for you got to eliminate those type of plays. That might have been a little bit on the safety, though. Uh, you know, I had to rewatch that one a little bit. I think that was, may have been a trail play where the safety should have been over the top. So maybe the safeties didn't make as many plays as I thought. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to lower my standard for calling Josh Jackson a dude. I'm going to call him a dude. I'm like, I think he is just because okay. he just switched. And he's already looks like he belongs there, like he could be competing for a starting spot. So I would say he's ahead of schedule for someone that just switched positions. Uh, he's made plays on the ball. He's picked off multiple passes. Uh, I think he's looked legit. You know, so it's. I think he. If you were like eh, last year, like oh, you're going to switch uh, Joshua Jackson over at a corner, like all right, yeah, he'll be 15th on the depth chart or something. Like no, he's up there. So uh, you know, is he a dude first second round draft pick like Shotgun saying? I, you know, maybe at some point, but not there yet. But just what he's done so far, switching over, I'm going to give him some dude status. Sure. And and like Chaka mentioned, it's it's uh, with the fact that USC barely has any scholarship quarterbacks on the depth chart right now, and that Jaden Williams did not play on Saturday. Uh, maybe he would have got lost in the depth chart if there wasn't such few numbers, but now he's he's getting time. So Yeah, and making the most, again, making, making the most of that opportunity. And then the other guy that was mentioned, Jay Toya, uh, yes, he has an opportunity to start. And part of that is because of the injuries. Brandon Peely is... Yeah, we got a question from Jasper Smith. Sorry, Shotgun. Uh, about With Peely out for the season, he had an Achilles tendon. Who takes his reps? So take it away, Shotgun. Sorry about that. Yeah, so Clay Helton confirmed what we had reported in the war room previously that, that Brandon Peely had surgery on his Achilles. Um, and they're hoping that, you know, everything went well as far as we know. And we're hoping that, you know, he'll make a full recovery and be back as quickly as he can. But he's done for the season. So Ishmael Sasha has not practiced at all. He had the compartment leg syndrome. He's not getting an opportunity to prove himself, learn this new defense until the summer at the earliest, and then you know the fall when he put the pads on. So Jay Toy is in there. Jay Toy is taking reps. Jay Toy is being a beast right now, and he is a mountain of a man, as Clay Helton said. He has been running through people consistently. He throws offensive linemen, both the first string guys and the second string guys, out of the way at times. And has been able to be disruptive both in the run game and just creating some extra pressure on the quarterbacks. He isn't getting there and making a ton of sacks, but he's being that second guy. And that's usually what you need to get a sack. You need two guys to get pressure, not just one, because oftentimes a quarterback can roll away from one guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's going to be a legit player. So for sure, a couple of guys that... Now he's edging on dude status. Getting there. (laughs) Like Thule. Thule's total dude right now yeah (laughs) do you not agree with that shotgun i don't i don't know that he's a first or second round pick yet no that's your definition that's my definition yeah okay but i just watched him tuli tuli below to play i think he's a dude dude yeah and we got a question from mike on facebook who says what do you think about espn's top 25 rankings pretty broad question mike but the boss man put it up i said i don't know i think as he talked like was there some like too early you know college football rankings or something like maybe a little more specific but uh probably the rankings don't mean diddly do in like the fall <laughs> they certainly don't mean anything in uh april also i mean they mean something in the fall later <laughs> in the fall but i mean like august like when they're like the preseason you know like the but the way That's too early said, yeah the way too early ones no those don't mean anything either like until like the season's going like i don't like who That's cares still the fall the preseason doesn't matter like the the, the rankings don't matter Certainly, uh, April rankings don't matter. We got a question from Daniel on YouTube that says, the biggest all-caps question of all, can SC hang with Notre Dame, and can SC beat Oregon with what you see? Reminder, it's nine practices of spring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, USC can. I mean, because they're a talented team. 
But like going into the season, am I going to say that USC, would I predict USC to beat Notre Dame on the road? No. Uh, you know, maybe after the first few games, like, wow, this team does really look good. The offensive line is gelling. If all that stuff happens, like, oh, yeah, okay. But right now, I mean, Notre Dame would probably be a favorite. And I would, you know, early, 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 I would probably pick Notre Dame. But yeah, certainly USC can beat those teams. Ryan? I mean, shotgun? <laughs> that was me. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Andrew on Facebook. Neither one of those teams is like some upper echelon team. They're not Alabama. Notre Dame was in the playoff. Got Hang with them. Oregon won the Rose Bowl. Hang with them. Or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've seen USC hang with Notre Dame at, yeah. South, out, at South Bend, but. Won the Rose Bowl two years ago, but yeah. What a question from Can Andrew. they hang with them, Ryan, though? Can they hang with them? Sure, they can hang. Yeah. Okay. okay, then. That's my answer. Okay. Yeah. Getting chippy over here. <laughs> Andrew on YouTube says Is the offensive line not getting a push more indicate? Uh, indi- Indicative, wow, hello, of the new air raid offensive line coach or the defensive players are just better. I think it's indicative of the offensive line play the last few years rather than the new offensive line coach. I mean, he's had three weeks to work with them. They haven't really gotten a push consistently in, what, half a decade? It's been a while. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're, excuse me, you're changing offensive line coaches. It, that usually takes a little while. We, USC went a run of like five years with five different coaches. They had a pretty bad one for a while that they stuck around pretty too long. They bring in Tim Drevno for a couple of years, and his system really didn't match what was going on you know, with the offensive coordinator. Now you have systems that match, but you're sort of like already behind. It's not, you, don't, you don't hire a new guy and instantly catch up. It's really hard to tell. Like, will Clay McGuire be good or bad? Like, it's, it's way too early to say. But even if he was great, I don't think you were going to see huge results right away, like in nine practices in. Oh, we're reaching the top of the hour, so be sure to get your rapid-fire questions. And I'm also going to go through these rapid-fire. So, gentlemen, keep your answers rapid-fire, a.k.a. Shotgun Spreadling. Uh, we had a question from Torian who said, will Kyle Ford have an impact this season? Yeah, I think I already predicted he was going to start. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I just like Kyle Ford a lot. So, uh um, yeah, I think he's going to, I think, I think they are going to rotate a little bit more on the, the, the receiver spot. I think you're going to see more guys play before you had those established guys. I think it'll be, you got your Drake London. And then I think a bunch of guys will play. I think he'll be one of them. I'll believe rotation when I see it. I've, we've preached, uh, there's been rotation preached at us multiple years in a row at different positions. And it never seems like those happen. They're mixing and matching on the offensive line. Well, it only, it only took them it. drafting <laughs> teams for that to happen. Oh, we had a question from Center Point Media who says, uh, do you think USC needs to upgrade its out-of-conference schedule versus other power conferences? Uh, this is related to getting in or being left out of the playoffs. No. No. They play Notre Dame every year. Like, USC, that's the one thing that doesn't happen. USC has plenty of schedule power. And they have the, the brand. Like, they don't need to do as much. They played Notre Dame. They've also played, what, in recent years, Texas, Alabama. You know, they played really good teams. And some people go, wow, do you really need to play that many? Solid teams out of conference when you're going to play Notre Dame every year, and Notre Dame has been a really successful program the last you know half decade or so. So, um, you, you know, I don't think that that's something that you should worry about at all. You got to worry about winning your conference games yes. to be able to get to that. Um, if you win at, if you they were going undefeated in the conference every year, then maybe you you'd worry about the out of conference more. Yeah, just having that Notre Dame game is a is a. Big, you know, that's that's enough. But USC has they're gonna get the benefit of the doubt. Like if Oregon State made a run and they were like eleven and one in the Pac twelve, they're probably not making it in. USC's eleven and one, unless there's some you know, four undefeated teams, they're probably making it in. 
Bryden on YouTube says, are all the picks thrown Saturday from Keaton and company uh, cause for concern, or is it just them getting uh, the ball force out of their system? Don't know what that ne- means necessarily. A lot of easy checkdowns missed that would have gone for first downs. And who wants to check down on a spring game, man? You want to take some <laughs> shots downfield, right? Uh, you know, Slovis's pass was just underthrown. That wasn't um, that wasn't a great one. You know, Dart had some great passes, and then that his pick wasn't very good. Uh, Moss missed. Uh, he had Katie Nixon uh, pretty open. It just looked like there was some miscommunication there on that one. He missed that one, but the other pick wasn't very good either. He kind of just threw, he he was pressured and just kind of flicked it up in the air, which was ill advised because Chris Steele like came down with it. But yeah, I mean, there was some pressure there, but just. You're going to get some bad throws, and and you're great on the defense to make some plays on them. I don't think he missed Katie Nixon. I think there was a miscommunication because Chris Steele was trying to run the route for him and was out in front running the post route, and Miller Moss saw a wide open space, and he tried to throw it in that open space, and Katie Nixon wasn't on the same page with him to go do that. If he recognized that space himself, then you know you go throw to run to green grass, throw to green grass, and he's wide open. That's a 25 yard catch, and then you go on, but. Chris Steele was definitely running the route for him, and he and, he tri- and Mosh read it, and Katie Nixon didn't wasn't reading the same thing at the same time uh, on that one. But the interception was, you know, uh, just a not a very good throw from Moss there, and uh, again a miscommunication with young receivers or with new receivers that he's not used to throwing to. So uh, I give him a little bit less of a um, negative on his throw on that one for the miscommunication than Jackson Dart just not seeing the underneath defender there on that one. Same thing with Keaton Slovis. I didn't think that was a very good throw. Just not seeing it. It was, you know, a, 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 a deep drop coverage because it was a third and long situation. And you got to, it was, a, I believe, a cover two, a Tampa two, because you had two of Nomura running deep in the middle. And, you know, it was, that's one where you got to throw it short, which he did in the next drive to Gary Bryant. Throws it about seven-yard pass, and Gary Bryant picks up another six yards, and that created a fourth and two out of a third and, like, 15 or something. So you, you got to learn from it, and he did on the next drive. But those are the type of throws you can't you can't make in games. So hopefully they get them out of their system in the spring game. But, yeah, you don't want to check down unless, Ryan, you check down to Keontae Ingram, and he takes it 49 yards. There you Yeah, you go that way. <laughs> I think we have a picture of that, Ing- I mean, uh, that Dorian Hewitt interception. But I feel like that's just Keaton Slovis going, hey, you know, I want to find my guy, Drake London. If I just throw it anywhere near him, he's going to catch it, you know, unless there's a dude standing right in front of him and it's underthrown, which that's what happened. Is that what's going through his head? Uh, Yeah. Uh, I think, I I mean, would you, like, you'd be like, hey, "Hey, what's going, oh, oh, there's that London guy. Maybe I'll throw it to (laughs) him because he's really freaking good. Okay. Yeah. We have a question from Dennis on Facebook who said, uh, what about the best spring game, modern day versus Bosco? Did you scout the game? In your opinion, how did USC's guys do? Damani Jackson had an interception, you know, um, there's a couple of targets in there that, that looked really good. David Bailey looked good. Rayshon Davis uh, had a couple, couple of really nice plays there. So I thought USC's guys and some of the guys that they're looking at looked positive. I didn't really w- focus on the game. I was in and out uh, of taking a nap after the spring game and, uh, and editing photos during that game as well. So the bits, bits and pieces of it that I saw, the guys that are committed to come to USC looked, looked pretty good. Yeah, by the time I turned it on, it was too late, and I was like, oh, man, I missed it. So. I don't get Fox Sports. Like, my YouTube TV doesn't get Fox Sports West, I believe. I hate No that. one gets Fox Sports West anymore because it's not Fox Sports West anymore. Oh, or what is it now? It's Bally Sports West. Which <laughs> is I it? Not- yeah. Oh, maybe really I get weird. that. I didn't even see that. I don't yeah, know, but- <laughs> yeah, all the Fox 
yeah to all the YouTube channels. that like, any YouTube people out there let me know if I get it because I didn't I didn't see it <laughs> I don't think you do no because um, I would have YouTube TV so I can watch Angels but I don't so there you oh go. you can oh yeah uh, another Twitter live one sure. uh, from M Mosley thirty is Manir McLean still still suspended yes latest we've heard yes yeah still, still on the roster still on the roster we you know. Definitely would have had some opportunities with the, the numbers you have at wide receiver right now. So it's unfortunate he's not out there. But, yeah, still on the roster. We have a question from Moms on YouTube who says, Do you see the offense being more, quote-unquote, balanced this season? I put the quotes there because that's a quote from Clay Helton. No. <laughs> uh, I think it's still going to be – I think they're still going to be throwing the football a lot more than they're running it. But I don't, what was the ratio last year, Shaka? Like, oh. What, I don't know what off the the top of my head. (laughs) It's so, I mean, at the end of the day, like sometimes there's going to be some blowouts and they're just running the football at the end. Uh, So I think the numbers will get skewed a little bit. But like if you did like a real game time stuff, I still think it's going to be more on the passing side than what they've said. That's just my guess. We had a question from hip hop lover John who says, uh, what's USC's biggest strength overall, wideout or the defensive line? Defensive line because there's more bodies. Yeah. I mean, there's some studs on uh, the wideout spot. I mean, to see Brew McCoy back for, in pads for the first time, making a play, like his first touch, you know, it's like, oh, touchdown. That's not bad. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. I mean, they, you know, I think Kyle Ford's going to be really good. We saw it flashes Michael Jackson. All those guys, yeah. But, I mean, we're seeing guys that were like, oh, maybe like a three-star guy coming out of high school and then looks, you know, really good on the defensive side. That's the kind of development you want. Uh, you want to take guys that have like maybe they were three star with high potential and then turn them into guys that look like blue chippers. And I, I think uh, Vic Soto has been doing a pretty good job of that. Deontay Burnett style, if it was a wide receiver. Yeah. He, he, it's funny. I remember watching Deontay, at, Deontay Burnett at like Sarah practice. We were filming because like five other guys and I'm watching him like, and I think it was with Gerard and like Greg Biggins. I'm like, who the hell is that? And like, oh, he's going to Washington State. I'm like, that guy's good, you know, and it was pretty funny. Like one practice, you're like, yeah, he's he's legit. And then USC switch, you know, flips him at the end. Uh, we have a question from Racer on YouTube that says, when Isaac Taylor Stewart was in high school, was he considered one of the fastest? He was considered one of the fastest kids out there. Has he regained that speed coming back from injury? I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen him lose the speed necessarily. Yeah. But as a cornerback, it's not about straight ahead speed. It's about what you can do in your backpedal. Yeah, you're going backwards quite a bit. And we don't, you know, we don't really get to watch these guys race all the time. So it's some, some people are like, hey, That's who's what PRPs are for. That was the fun part. Yeah, we could see some of that. Like if you see like one-on-ones and stuff, which we can't do anymore. But mm-hmm. I know we should have them all race and see like who's fastest. <laughs> we, like we have some authority over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make uh, some calls. Hey, Robert Steiner, can we come out and watch some races? Bobby Steiner, the boys. <laughs> uh, Gary on Facebook said, I heard Corey Foreman was at the spring game. Any other signees or recruits in attendance? Yes, there were. There were some. I believe Fabian Ross was there, Shoddy. Yeah, the cornerback commit from Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman, for the 2022 class. I'm still getting used to saying that now that we've moved on to that. Crazy, right? Um, I believe Malachi Nelson was also there, the 2023 heard, yes. quarterback, uh, who's you know going to be one of the, the best quarterbacks in the nation probably in that class. So obviously a local kid, one that they want to – Lock up. They got him and uh, Makai Lemon. Keely and I went and saw them a couple weeks ago, uh, and they were they put up like 50 points in the first half. They're, they're really, really good. Really, really good. Uh, we had a question from Neil on Facebook. Uh, what's, what's the status of Frank Martin? Frank Martin, we've seen him at practice. 
I was looking, and in the first half, I don't think I saw him in the game. I'm going to have to look back through my photos to see if he was on the sideline at all, if I saw him anywhere, but didn't see him out there. So kind of a kind of question mark there. Um, I think there was a question about if Bernard Shermer is still on the team. He's still on the roster, though he has not returned to, to be with the team at all after opting out of last season. So question marks there. Yeah, so we, like, who, who else opted out? So we had... Frank Martin, Jacob Lichtenstein, and, and Sherman. He came back, and Sherman, yeah. So, Shermer, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And Lichtenstein came back at the end of the season, and we saw Frank Martin at practice. Shermer has not, you know, come back, has not rejoined the team as far as we know. Uh, Gorilla says, any potential first round picks from the 2020 class? I think he's referring to the recruiting class that included the six offensive linemen. Mm. Um, Gary Bryant's the biggest name of that group. Is he yeah. a first round pick? Once he stays healthy for long enough, then maybe I, I can give you a better assessment of that. But with the injury history and small receivers just don't generally go in the first round like that, I would say no there. Are any of those offensive linemen first-round picks? You know, maybe Casey Collier or Cortland Ford or Jonah Monheim have a, you know, a future. I think Casey Collier is a guy that has a ton of upside, ton of potential. Obviously, he's got good genetics. We just saw his sister go number one in the WNBA draft. <laughs> Um, but you know, he moves really well and I've seen some positive things from him, but he's still raw. Cortland Ford, you know, it's similar. You know, those three guys are raw. Monheim, I still don't see as a tackle. I think he can be a mauler inside if they give him that opportunity. So it, it'll be depending on how the offensive line production, how it continues to improve and progress under Clay McGuire. Yeah. I think that's your best shot as one of those offensive linemen and one of the tackles just. Starts for three years or something and uh, ends up being a first round pick. But I, you know, I think you can get some, a couple good players out of there. I'm not sure. I didn't really see first round talent yet, but, you know, who knows? They could develop that and uh, become one. I mean, call your size and length is the guy that gives me that says he's got the most potential to get there, but he's got a long way to go. Yeah. AK Boone says, uh, I'm sure everyone else was thinking this. How'd the punters and kickers look? Well, A.K. Boone, multiple people asked about uh, Ben Griffiths. So, yes, uh, report on that, shoddy. Uh, ben Griffiths had a 52-yard punt. Uh, he had a 40-something-yard punt. But there's no rush coming, so it doesn't really count to me. Yeah, everything was fair. Alex Stathouse, I think, made all his kicks. He made a couple of field goals. So, positive there, but Parker Lewis wasn't there. So, yep. that's who's, who's going to be starting for you. They kicked off and kicked most of them near the goal line. Yeah, Parker Lewis, uh, we found out, had some family thing, and it wasn't he wasn't gone for a week, but the fact that he left and then came back, you have to quarantine for seven days. So that's why you weren't – we didn't know why he wasn't a practice uh, the past week, but uh, it's just he had to go for something for his family. But then when you come back, you can't just come back right away. So. Yeah. Uh, Jester Smith says, would you say Chris Steele has gotten his confidence back and remedied his grabbing and holding? I mean, that's the thing that's going to be something that he has to work on constantly. That's, you know, that he's used to being a physical defensive back, get his hands on him. That's kind of the case with all Southern California. That's kind of the reputation they have. Defensive backs is they want to grab and hold. It comes from the seven-on-seven -seven circuit, and if it's not being cold, called consistently uh, and they get away with it and being big and physical, that's one of his better traits. Then, yeah, that's what he, need, he needs to do at the line of scrimmage. Then he has to do a better job of not doing it down the field. I mean, he looked really good in, in the little bit of time. Besides that one tackle attempt on Keontae Ingram, he looked good in, in the you know his coverage and stuff on Saturday. He looked good on 
was the last Tuesday when we saw him get the pick to end practice. You know, he had, he had a bounce back day there from his first padded practice. So he's only had three padded practices this, this spring. So I, I think he's taking some steps. And I think working with, with Dante Williams, I think he's only going to continue to progress. Uh, David on YouTube says, from what you've heard and seen, who is the number two quarterback in your eyes at this point of camp? Way too early to tell. I yeah. mean, if he wasn't injured, Mo Hassan, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so, too. I mean, so experience, plus he's made some really nice throws, and you saw what he did on the one drive that he had. The check down gets it, you know, doesn't doesn't do what some of the other quarterbacks did and takes the check down, works out really well for him, gets out of a first and 25 situation, and then the next throw, he puts it in the – drops it in the bucket, you know, the window between the safety and the cornerback. Perfect throw to, to Brew McCoy, who does a nice job of stemming the DB, slowing down, and then speeding back up to, to catch the pass. Uh, but, you know, that's the type of throws that we've been seeing from Mo Hassan. But, unfortunately, he goes down with a knee injury. We don't get to see him the rest of the spring game. He doesn't kind of get to continue to make his case for it. Mm -hmm. Already, final question comes from Andrew. It's for you, Ryan. I'm directing it to you. Okay. Who is the best SC player that signed that helmet? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that's a, like so many good ones. I feel uh, like you're going to insult so many people, so maybe don't even answer that. Right. Uh, I mean, there's Hall of Famers all over it. I, I'm looking right at Anthony Munoz and like, you know, as far as like overall football player, if you're talking about SC career, he, you know, he had some injuries and stuff, but I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it. So I'll go with uh, Anthony Munoz. There you go. Shoddy. A couple of quick things. Center point uh, said, going back to the question about non-conference schedule, said they were undefeated going to the Pac-12 championship. No one was talking about them getting in the playoff. Don't even take last year. Don't even count that. Yeah, they played six, five games. So, of course, they weren't being considered when everyone else was playing a full schedule. So that's much different. They played months earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Andrew answered the question for us that USC was 60 point. 3-4% pass last season with 39.66% run. I think that USC will be more balanced this year because I think the run game will improve, and that will give Graham Harrell something to actually consider using instead of just being like, we ain't got a run game, we're not even going to try to use it. Yeah. A lot of uh, fake quotes in tonight's Tunnel Vision. So. <laughs> Keely, there's a f Facebook one if you want to put it up real quick. Sorry. That always scares me, Ryan. No, no. that's. Oh, uh... uh, yeah. Harry says, fullback? Four question marks? No, 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 no. One for each question mark. No, there's no fullbacks. There's no fullbacks. No, they're gonna use, they'll use the <laughs> H back spot, which is where they line the tight end up inside of the tackle. Um, you know, maybe they explore trying to put somebody else there in that position, but that's the position they're gonna use. They're not gonna use an actual fullback. You saw some more two back sets. Two backs were good. Um, where the the secondary runner or secondary running back was the lead blocker. Don't know if that's exactly what you want, but you know, guys like Vi can get out in front and block for you. Then that's you know what you want. Uh, that's that can work for you. Then not necessarily what you want, but you're not going to see a true Soma Vanuku out there anytime soon. No, yeah. and Stanley we did. See, I don't know if you guys saw it, but you know, we can't really talk about formation stuff a lot. But this was live on the Pac-12 Network, so yeah, you saw those guys kind of being a lead blocker at times. We saw it in practice a bunch, but it mostly seemed like they were going out in the flat and catching passes. It wasn't necessarily like. A two back and one guy was lead blocking, at least from what I was watching. We've but. seen it before, though. Okay. Yeah. Well, Shadi, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Or you, Ryan? No, I guess not. I think wow. the, <laughs> Rare. We're, we're all talked out. No, it was positives. Uh, I think it was, a, you know, I think it was good to have an actual kind of game. I think they should have been doing this for 
You guys were years. haters, though. I got to call you out on this. Oh, wait, you guys, haters of what? You were very mad about uh, the fact that the spring game was at this point of spring. And you guys seem like it, it – you sound like you've warmed up to the idea. No, no. I feel still – I feel <laughs> that's still dumb. But I oh, like okay. the fact that it was okay. a spring game. Like, okay. I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's – I don't like having two more weeks of spring football. This would have been great to end it. I know? actually do because I feel like we learn a lot in spring game and then the the – Clay Helton Presser is just a whirlwind, and then you're like, nope, that's it for the next couple of months. So I like actually having more to watch now. There's I like more it. practices yeah. and stuff. I like yeah, it. it's just going to be weird. Uh, it was good to hear from Clay Helton after the spring yeah, game instead of before. Nice. That's yeah. part of the weirdness of this COVID stuff is that we get like a press conference before, and like, are we going to get an update on some of the injuries? We might not get it till Saturday, you know, unless they tweet something out or send us an email because we, I don't think we hear it to, from Helton until Saturday now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, Shotgun and I were sitting in a tunnel on the ground trying to hear Helton while begging the security officer to let us listen to the presser. It's a rough time if you're not in the press box, but we, we oh, survived. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for today's Tunnel Vision. That's Ryan, that's Shotgun, I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week.